0: Father, we thank you for another morning together, another Sunday to celebrate you, to worship you, to be in awe of you. God, that is the only thing that I want to happen on a Sunday morning. I want us all to walk in blown away by you, which then moves us to go out and to live for you and with you and by you. God, I thank you for a community who desires Jesus as the focal point of every worship gathering that we come together. No agenda except Jesus. No focus except God, just you and your glory. Now, God, as we jump into this topic, Father, I pray that you would help me to teach it well. God, anoint me to it, anoint me for it, as I know that this might bring up ideas or thoughts or emotions or feelings, and Father, I pray that we'd be able to receive it. I pray you'd help me to keep my agenda to myself. May it be only your truth, comfort, encourage, convict whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name and everyone who agrees says, amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul said these words, he said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ for you. You ever ask the question, God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? Well, here's one I can tell you for sure. When you open up the word and it says, and this is God's will for you, then this is it. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what every single one of us are called to do. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. And then that next part, give thanks in all circumstances. It's like this all-encompassing thing. And yet it's not seasonal. He's sitting there going, well, what do you mean by that? It's not when things are great, then give thanks or rejoice in all things. Then give thanks in all things when things are going well. But it's in all situations. Guys, when you read what it is that Paul actually went through, and I've used this passage many times, and I'll continue to use it throughout the years, however long God lets me preach his word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, this is one of those passages that That I think every prosperity gospel preacher who wants to take the gospel and make you believe that if you actually give your life to Jesus, you get millions of dollars. And isn't it amazing that mostly they are the ones that get millions of dollars and we don't because they're taking our money if we give it to them. But if you don't have enough faith and you don't have enough money, that's the reason it's not happening. That's according to to their teaching and they're taking the scriptures and they're just kind of dividing it however they want to. He said, oh, well, Brian, you're getting pretty hard on that. Guys, I have, a, I, have a, I have a strong issue with people that are gonna take advantage of another group of people so that they can live the high life all the while missing what it is that God actually said this is what it's gonna be like. So I wanna take what the scriptures say, not just what other people are saying because, guys, the thing that was happening here is the thing that still happens today. So back here in this day, when Paul's writing this, you have those who are the Gnostics, they have this secret knowledge. So, what could happen? Because say I'm a Gnostic, I have the secret knowledge. Come to me, I'll help you find the secret knowledge for a price. And if you give me that price, I'll help you understand the secret thing that you'll never be able to understand, but I can because I'm much more superior than you are. All the while, what I'm leading you do, what I'm leading you to do is walk away from Christ, not toward Christ. So do you see how the Bible actually still fits today? So I have a strong issue with this. And so whenever I hear a prosperity preacher, I'm going, gosh, have you ever read this part? Because if Paul actually is preaching this kind of stuff, he sucked at it. Because when you look at what it is that he endured, because all because he loved Jesus. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? You ever notice, this isn't the passage that people try to use to convince people to come to Christ. Hey, you want to surrender to Jesus? Let me let me explain to you what it looked like. You could can, can get shipwrecked all because you love Jesus. You could get arrested because you love Jesus. Danger from rivers, bandits, your people, all people. It's going to be Great. Who's gonna sign up for this? I don't think the line's gonna be that long. Because then isn't it easier to say this? Hey, if you want to be forgiven and have heaven, just raise your hand. It doesn't cost you anything. Just raise your hand. Say these words, and that's it. Well, who doesn't want that? That doesn't cost me anything. I don't have to deny myself, pick up a cross, follow Jesus. I don't have to get out of, a, out of a lounge chair. I can just say what? Yeah, I want to be forgiven. I want heaven. As if that's all that Jesus actually asked. Let me change it. Of what it is that God requires of us. I can't earn salvation. I can't pay for it. But our lives as followers of Jesus should be spent in worship of God who paid it all. And my following of Jesus will mean what? At times I will have to suffer because I love Jesus. It's, it's to be expected. So how could Paul say what we just read and still continue? And everything he experienced, how could he say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, because this is the will of God for your, for, for your life, How could he say that, knowing everything that he's experienced, he still has this burden and passion for Jesus and his church? I'm convinced it's this, because Paul at some point knew what he signed up for when he said yes to Jesus. As I've said before, friends, salvation is this gift, and to us it's free, and the only reason it's free to us is because Jesus paid the price. That's the only reason. It's, it, it was a high cost. It was a high price that he paid. And so it wasn't just like, oh, it's the free gift of salvation. Well, it's free because somebody else paid for it. But our following Jesus costs us everything. Not for salvation, but because we have it. In humble worship, recognizing what it is that God has done, And my response to him is humble worship. God, whatever you want, whatever you want. I own nothing. I have nothing. I manage everything that belongs to you. This life, this body, not mine, yours. Whatever you want, it's all for you. May I exhaust myself this side of heaven for the cause of Jesus. But may I learn to love my walk with you. It's not done out of duty, but us walking with Jesus. I think that's how he could say rejoice in everything. Pray without ceasing. So as you get to Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 24, I I wrote these words in my notes. I said this, when we try to live for Christ apart from Christ's mission, we tend to move toward life management rather than life abundant we say it again, when we try to live for Christ apart from Christ's mission, we tend to move toward life management rather than life abundant. What do I mean by this? I don't think I've made this up. Jesus told us, he said, I have come that you'd have life and life abundant, life to the full. And yet what's happened, I think, and I think we all get kind of hit with this, it's kind of nice to be comfortable, right? And we all want our bed to be comfortable. We want a, we want a chair that's comfortable. We want, I like comfortable. I like where I, I, like the chair that I get to sit in at my house. I like it. I fall asleep in it all the time. All the time. If it's like 7.45 at night, I start, I am not know, this horrible. I used to like, I used to kind of be able to stay up late. Everyone thinks that if you're the later you stay up, the more you party. I didn't even party, but I was like, I could stay up. Now it's like 7.45. I'm like, uh, I'm going to make it to eight. I'm going to make it to eight. It's like, I can't even do that now. I don't blame it on me. I blame it on that dang chair. (laughs) And as a follower of Christ, we can get to the same thing. I want my life to be blessed in such a way that I can be as comfortable as possible by the time that I stand before Jesus. And so we do everything we, we do everything we do to make sure that we can manage life so that what we do makes it as comfortable as possible by the time we meet Jesus. Do you see the difference? Life abundant doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. I think it means it's going to be memorable. Life abundant means that I'm going to face some great, amazing mountaintop experiences that just blow me away, and I'm going to go through some really deep valleys that just make me get to the point where I can barely breathe. It just feels like it's so overwhelming, and all of it is God doing his sanctifying, perfect work in all of us to make us look as much like Jesus by the time that we see him. Guys, that's life abundant, not just life management when we separate Christ's call on our life to know Jesus away from his mission, then we think, I prayed the prayer, I get to go to heaven one day, until then God I pray that you would bless in such a way that I can be somewhat helpful but mostly comfortable. And there's always a temptation to that. For all of us, myself included, See, at some point in history, the gospel changed from the most revolutionary message and mission into a self-help course on how to have a better life. I mean, think about it. Accept Christ, perfect life, perfect marriage, perfect finances, perfect, perfect, perfect. And then you look at Jesus who came and suffered. And yet we say we want to be like Christ and Paul even echoes this in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Like, I want to know every aspect of Jesus, not just the stuff that makes me feel good at the end of the day that I had some camp high, which I believe in camp highs. But isn't it amazing how how deeply God meets us in the depths of sorrow That if we would slow down, quiet our soul, and come before him and just cry out honestly, God, this is where I'm hurting. Do you realize how how much more we cry out and pray to God from the depths of our soul rather than the mountaintop experiences? So can you see how God is saying, I am good in all times, in all seasons, in all ways. We trust him in the midst of all of it because he's good. But as followers of Jesus, we have to be prepared in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't use this verse either. You want to come to Christ, shipwrecked, stoned? Well, that's different. Sounds a little different today. But have people throw rocks at you to kill you, it's so different. But for those who have never read the Bible, it's like, I could sign up for that. That's not what it means. as he's getting whipped five different times by the Jewish people because he loved Jesus. Hey, you want to come follow the Jesus that I'm following because I'm going through this because of him? And then we don't jump to this verse. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and live a godly life, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. But what will our response be when we are? Is it to become militant against those who persecute us as if we think it's now justified? Do we look at the scriptures, that says, hey, don't show vengeance against everyone. Vengeance belongs to God. He sits on the throne. You let him handle that. Your response, if somebody's hungry, you give them something to eat. Someone's thirsty, you give them something to drink. You let God handle all that stuff. It's like, no, none of us could do that because we're just going to play the victim. We're not playing the victim. We're living like Jesus. I think it's different. So as Paul jumps into this part of his letter in Colossians 1, verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's writing a bunch of Christians. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Did you hear? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Like I'm suffering on your behalf and I celebrate that I get to. When he wrote a second letter to a bunch of Christians in Corinth in chapter 12, verse 15, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. It's like, I'll exhaust myself, I'll, I'll exhaust myself, this side of heaven on behalf of you, gladly. So you have him in two different places. I rejoice that I get to suffer for your sake. I'm also willing to be spent and to spend for your souls. But he makes that phrase, what do you mean by, and I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, for the sake of his body. Like, what is lacking in Christ's affliction? So, remember on the cross, Jesus, right before he dies, one of the last things that he says, he says, It is finished. It's a banker's term, literally what he said, it's paid in full. But he says, It's finished. He's saying, There's nothing else that has to happen to make someone right with God now. I've paid the price. And so, as Paul said, they go, No, wait, wait, he almost did. There's some afflictions that he didn't go through, so I'm gonna go through those to finish his work. I don't believe that's what he's saying because I trust Jesus more. The New Living Translation, this verse, I think it kind of hits it better, it says, for I, am, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. In other words, the church around the world is experienced as it experiences persecution because we're wanting to see people come to Jesus. That when the church is persecuted, Christ is persecuted. When the church suffers, Christ suffers. How how do I know? Well, I think Paul would understand this best. Before he came to Christ, he was given authority to go into people's houses and to drag off men and women who were known as, quote unquote, the followers of the way, the, the early Christians. He would drag them out of their house, men and women, and put them in prison simply because they followed Christ. So he's on his way to Damascus, given authority by the religious leaders to do the exact same thing. And on the way, Jesus shows up, knocks him off his donkey, he's on the floor, he's blinded, and Jesus says this. He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So here comes Paul. Think about it. As he's writing these words, he's like, oh, I know what this means. Yeah, I get this. It has nothing to do with me. But as followers of Jesus, they're suffering. They're going through afflictions. This is the continuation of the affliction that Christ experiences. Do you see the difference? He's not saying, hey, there's something lacking. I've got to finish his work. Friends, there's nothing that we can do to finish the work of Christ. We just have to, be, we have to understand there is suffering that happens today that is connected. It's this 2,000-year-old connection to the beginning of what it is that Jesus brought called the church. And we have to expect that it's going to happen here as well. It's like, oh, this is doomsday. No, it's not. Because I figure this. He's like, well, I could never. I don't know if I could either. But all oh, I believe in a Holy Spirit who can enable us to do anything. This isn't look at Paul and how great he is. No, look at the Holy Spirit who is so amazing in him that he can still rejoice in everything. He still sees Jesus as worth it. It's always been about God. Friends, there should be no celebrity nor hero of the faith if we're not connecting those people to Jesus who is the ultimate only hero of our faith. But but I make mention of this So on January 31st, 2021, in the southwestern region of India, there's a pastor by the name of uh, Ashok. He and 150 or so believers gathered for a Sunday morning worship gathering. Just like this. And as they gathered, this large group of Hindu nationalists barged into their worship gathering shouting about Hindu gods. And then those Hindu nationalists, they locked the door from the inside and they began to beat the pastor in front of everyone. One of the people that are, they were beating in front of them is his 13-year-old daughter, Miriam. Miriam then runs in front of those who are beating uh, her dad, goes to her knees and begs them to stop. And their response was to kick her in the stomach so hard that she had internal bleeding for the next two weeks. And for the next 45 minutes, they took men and women and children and beat them for 45 minutes in their place of worship. See, Pastor Ashok, he started ministry in 2004. Since 2004, he's been attacked three different times in major ways. And yet he has led more than 100 Hindus to Christ. And he continues to do so. In 2010, while his wife was pregnant, this would be the second attack, his pregnant wife, Kala, was beaten so bad that she lost her baby and was unconscious for three days. And as I read this article... And that little magazine I've told you about, Voice of the Martyrs, this is how it closed. This is how the, the article closed. It said, Pastor Ashok and his church members know they could face further attacks, but they continue to pray for their persecutors. Many of the believers said they forgive their attackers and want them to know Jesus too. Guys, it's so easy to forget around the world. Followers of Jesus are experiencing this. And it's to be expected. Why? Why is there such a hatred for the message of the gospel? Guys, I'm convinced because there's this spiritual aspect always connected to it. That we have an enemy who hates Jesus and everything Jesus has to do. Everyone connected to Jesus. And any way that he could somewhat think that he can stop the movement of the gospel, the enemy will do that. Satan will do that. But greater is he who is in us. he who is in the world, notice it's always greater is he who is in us. Not greater are we. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so how do I know that we can do this one day? Because the Holy Spirit will not leave us nor forsake us. The Holy Spirit will not leave us to ourselves to have to endure this on our own. The Holy Spirit will give us every single thing that is necessary to live godly lives that are set apart for Christ. All to bring glory to the Father. If the helper's job is to help, he will not leave in those moments where help is needed. We have a great, great, good God. But how could Paul continue to move forward? How could Pastor Ashok and his his congregation continue after all they've experienced? Because there is this thing, yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but we also have to make this conscious decision to obey. So how could they continue Because they knew what they signed up for. They knew what they signed up for. I wrote this in my notes. And the value of the invitation is directly connected to the value of the one who invited them. The value of the invitation is directly connected to the value of the one who invited them. And it's directly connected to the one who invited us. And when we realize, we understand who it is that invited us and what it is that that one did for us, Oh, I'm all in, but God, when I start to weak, I start to get weak knees. Oh, God, give me boldness, give me courage, give me strength. May my life be known as one that is set apart for Christ, empowered by His Holy Spirit, and may everything out of my mouth be boldness dripping in grace. As we proclaim the truth and the reality of the gospel. Guys, do we understand what we signed up for? Does the Christian culture in our nation understand what it's signed up for? Robbie Gallaty wrote a book, Rediscovering Discipleship, and he's had a huge impact. I've never met him, but I wrote a book of his also called Replicate. For those that have been in part of a D group or you're interested in a D group, that's where it came from. He's like, what is it? Sign up, we'll get you on. We're gonna do our best to get you on as soon as we can. But guys, I'm telling you that this, I believe this is the movement that's necessary. That all of us are learning how to be disciples who become disciple makers. Every single one of us, not, hey, the special ones, or the ones that are on the staff, or the church leadership. No, every follower of Jesus called to go make disciples who then go make disciple makers. We are called to replicate ourselves after Jesus. But he wrote this in his book called Rediscovering Discipleship. He said this, Elton Trueblood, a noted 20th century theologian, once commented on the central problem facing the church, even as the membership roles grew in number, a profound lack of involvement and the lack of serious commitment to the mission of Christ. He went on to say, perhaps the greatest single weakness of the contemporary Christian church is that millions of supposed members are not really involved at all. And what is worse, do not think it's strange that they are not. As soon as we recognize Christ's intention to make His church a militant company, He said, "They go, oh, there it is. I get to fight. Like who do I get to fight? Now we, all of a sudden we have those people fight against those people. Here's what Paul would say: Hey, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. Well, how do I fight them? Pray, pray, guys. When the enemy attacks, pray." And then get mad, like, what do you do? Go tell someone about Jesus. That will just frustrate them. Can you imagine if every time you felt spiritual warfare coming, you just went and told people about Jesus, maybe the enemy would go, okay, we got to stop. That guy didn't stop. Every time I attack, he just tells someone about Jesus. This is backfiring in our face. So he says, until we recognize that we're a militant company, we understand at once that the conventional arrangement cannot suffice. There is no real chance of victory In a campaign, campaign, if 90% of the soldiers are untrained and uninvolved, but that is exactly where we stand now. 90%. What a statement. See, Paul understood that his knowing Christ was directly connected to making Christ known. It was not, I'm saved and I can wait for heaven. At no point do you see that in the writings of Paul. At no point do you see that in the writings of Scripture, I get to know Christ that I might make him known. It is not separate. It's all interconnected. He goes on in verse 25. He says, of which, and of which he's referring to the church. He says, of which I became a minister. That word minister means servant or waiter, a servant of the king. So he became a minister according to the stewardship from God. That was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for all ages and generations that now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me break down just a second. That word stewardship. The stewardship is from God. That word stewardship means to this. It means to manage, to have oversight. This administration over someone else's property. And so when Paul's sitting there going, I have this stewardship of what? To make the word of God known. This was a responsibility that was entrusted to him. This was not something that's like, I love the word, I'm gonna do it, it's my thing, I can do it, you can't stop me. Paul's sitting there going, this has been what? Entrusted. It is a stewardship. When he would proclaim the things of God, he said, this is a stewardship. I'm, I'm taking care of what it is that God has entrusted to me. His word, proclaiming it to other people. And friends, I say this in all humility. My call to preach and to teach his word is a stewardship that I take so seriously to make sure I don't want my opinion I don't want my agenda. I just want, God, what do you say that would best bless your people? Because this isn't my church. You aren't my people. We are his church. We are his people. And I just have this call to shepherd and care and to teach and proclaim the word and to make the word fully known the best that I can this side of heaven. And please know, man, I agonize over it. God, am I getting this right? Help me get it. You know my mind? It's not that sharp. Would you do something? Would you proclaim? Reveal it that I can reveal it to your people to make your word fully known. And where I'm wrong, I'm in error. Oh, convict me hard that I might not proclaim or preach any type of heresy. Guys, all of a sudden you sit and go, so this isn't just your hobby? No, it's terrifying. Guys, when you read, the word says, not everyone should presume to be a teacher. Why? Because you're going to be judged more strictly than everyone else. I am more afraid of that verse than anyone else's opinion. Because I ought to stand before God one day and answer for every single word that came out of my mouth as I proclaim his word. So I feel... I feel for Paul as he says this. Not because I'm on the same, well, I'm not going to say that. Paul, a guy filled by the Holy Spirit. Me, a guy filled by the Holy Spirit just doing our best. That's what we're doing. That's what all of us are doing. And we may have different calls and different spiritual gifts and different roles and different responsibilities. But we all do it as stewards, not as owners. That make sense? Do you see the difference? And notice the phrases in verse 26 that he uses. The mystery hidden for ages, generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Why would he bring the word mystery and revelation and make it known? Why? Because the Gnostics are saying, nobody can know unless we tell you. And and here comes Paul going, are you kidding me? God reveals. God makes known the mystery. You want to know what the mystery is? It's like Paul is opening the present for all of them. For those of you if you've ever watched the TV show or you watch the movie, and it's one of those endings where, you're like, oh my gosh, this ending is amazing. I can't wait to spoil it for everyone. <laughs> you know who you are, you sinners. <laughs> Here's Paul. He's like, you want to know the end? You want to know the mystery? You don't have to read it. I'm just going to tell you it's Jesus. You get all these people saying, "Oh no, we've got all the secret special knowledge." No, no, no. They got nothing. The mystery from the ages, generations past. The mystery is Christ. It is only Jesus. Let me tell you the mystery. The ones, the mystery that these guys won't tell you until you pay them. I'll tell you the one, the mystery that these guys don't know anything about. God revealed it to all of His saints. All believers, God reveals the mystery of Jesus to us. Oh, how beautiful is that? And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to to share the end, the end of every story. We're supposed to share the end with everyone. We know the mystery, which is Jesus, who is the hope of glory. And he continues on in verse 28. And since it's all about Jesus, what was Paul's response? Watch, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. That word proclaim means to preach, to advocate with conviction. Brian, I don't have the spiritual gift of preaching. Guys, I don't know that there is one. There's a spiritual gift of teaching. I've seen that one. I haven't found the list that talks about the spiritual gift of preaching yet. Why? Because we're all supposed to be proclaiming Jesus. That's not a spiritual gift. That is a call. That's a call for every believer. I may have a spiritual gift of teaching, and I'm thankful for it, but to preach, to proclaim Christ, to herald Jesus as the greatest, welcome to the mission. All of us are called to proclaim and to preach Jesus. We always think preaching is just behind this pulpit. (laughs) I love this thing. I'm not going to lie. I love this more. But we think this is the only time preaching happens. Why? Because we don't do it. We think this is it. A guy that gets up just starts proclaiming. Some lady gets up, starts proclaiming, teaching. Oh, that's that's spiritual gift of preaching. No, maybe they just have this gift for communication. And maybe they're called to spiritually teach. They're spiritually gifted for it. To proclaim the gospel. Every person that follows Christ has that calling and has the, has the Holy Spirit so that we can get it done. He says, him we proclaim, him we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, warning everyone. What are we warning them of? Guys, there's no need to warn anyone of everything. If, if the only thing that's going to happen is that Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life. What am I warning people of? Because Jesus is coming back one day. No, it's a great day. He's coming back to kick some tail. Like the wrath of God. It's like Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath of God. Where's the verse? Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's toward the end. The reason that Jesus came was to rescue us from the coming wrath. So there's this warning. And then teaching everyone. So it's not just doomsday. Turn and burn. I was like, do you realize we screwed up? We're rebellious against God. Oh, but God is awesome. What he did because of his grace, because of his mercy and the forgiveness that he offers. Oh, let me tell you about that. Let me proclaim that to you. Let me preach. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature means complete, perfected, Guys, I don't know about you. I know I'm not perfect. And yet I do not want that truth to limit what it is that I will do on behalf of Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit, to get it done. I don't use it as license to sin. I want to use it as this license to live in the liberty and freedom that God has given to me to worship him in everything because he's worth it. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Realize Paul was not proclaiming, hey, here's this philosophy, this set of ideas. No, what did he proclaim? We proclaim him, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about him. You ever notice most people are fine if you mention God? If I walk up to a person and say, God bless you, I've yet to have anyone get upset. But if I come up and say, Jesus is the only way, what? (laughs) They might get upset at that part. But I say, God bless. And guys, I want to get out there and more. Be bold like that. But guys, it's the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It is Jesus' name. So of course the enemy doesn't want his name to be proclaimed. But in order to proclaim Christ, we have to know and adore him. In order to proclaim him, we must adore and know him. J.C. Ryle from the 19th century, in a book called "Warning the Church" or "Warning to the Churches," which I've been reading, say, "Live a courageous life, my brethren. Confess Christ before men. Whatever station you occupy, in that station, confess Christ." So simple, direct teaching and warning everyone, and you see his passion that we would grow, become mature in Christ, perfected and completed. Guys, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 12, conveys this message that at no point as followers of Jesus was it about prayer, prayer, wait for heaven. Do you realize that when you come to Christ, you surrender to him as Lord? The process of growing in Christ begins, and you should know more. You should know more about him You should know more about his word. You should know more about what it's like to actually speak to him, be in prayer, what it's like to serve him. It's this process. You work with Christ as he moves us into deeper fellowship with him. We're not supposed to just be waiting. Listen to what the writer says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who i am sorry—everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I'm going to use an example that my, my vegetarian vegan friends are not going to get, and it's okay. I love you, I do. But if you invite me over for like, hey, you guys want to you want to bring their family over and have some milk? No. Unless it's flooded with chocolate sauce, no. Can you imagine? Like, guys, we're going to get together and have this, sweet, we're gonna have this sweet church potluck. We're going to go old school potluck. All we need. Who can sign up for some milk? Guys, I don't think we should ever show up for that. I know it's something like, I have an ethical reason for the way that you... I don't, I don't know what those are. Okay, that's fine. That has nothing to do with it. I want some steak. I want to non from steak. I want, to, I want to. spit out the fat. I want to non the steak. And here it comes. And scripture shows it. It's biblical. <laughs> I just say solid food is steak. That's how I see it. Followers of Jesus, if you've come to Christ, welcome to the process called sanctification. It's going to take some effort. In fact, it's going to take everything in us as we climb the mountain called God to understand him more. Oh, but the view is worth it. It's worth it. We don't settle for just enough. No, we want as much of Jesus as he'll give us. Do you see how passionate Paul was? And look what, is, what it is that he was willing to go through. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That word struggling means to contend with an adversary, to fight. He's like, this is how much he's into this. Mark Sayers, a pastor out in in Australia, wrote this in a book called Reappearing Church. He said, we need a new generation of Christians engaged in mission, kingdom vocational living, cultural engagement, and biblical justice. Not just justice, not just social justice, biblical justice. Why that? Because God, God declares what is right and righteous. God declares it. We don't. Biblical justice. He says we need a whole new generation. And what? Just simply get back to people in the book and about Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be about. And somehow it shifted. He says, filled with the Spirit, formed by the way of Jesus, shaped by heavenly wisdom as the worship team comes back up. I have to start closing it down. I have a few more things, but I want to close it. I think Paul rejoiced in suffering for the sake of Jesus and his church, but how could he? And I think there's three things. I think the first is this, he recognized who Jesus was and what he did. He recognized who Jesus was and what he did. Number 2, he he loved Jesus and the things that Jesus loves. He really loved Jesus, but he also loved the things that Jesus loved guys, we should have that same thing. We should have this heart and love and concern for his church and also for this world. Proof it. For God so loved the world, not sure how to get past that one, that he gave his only son, which means we will live sacrificially and generously for the cause of Jesus, for a world that is so broken and needs the truth of the gospel because they need Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. We will toil and struggle this side of heaven not being okay with letting people hear a negative or a narrative that is false, leading them away from Christ, even if it sounds loving. No, we will be loving and we can disagree on things be like, well, I don't agree on your view on this. That's okay, but I love you. I do, and I want you to know Christ. Instead of well, it's okay, what you like it's okay. Guys, if that thing is leading people away from the cross of Christ, it is detrimental to them. They need to hear about Jesus. Followers of Christ, this is what we signed up for. When we said yes to Jesus, this is what we signed up for. We received salvation, but we said, I am a follower of Christ. I cannot separate his mission from his message. I can't separate his mission from my salvation. It all interconnects. It all comes together. This is what we signed up for. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let me pray as we close. Jesus, as we pause, we remember you and we get ready to take communion. And Holy Spirit, we pray you would convict us of things that are not of you, that we we could confess those things to you and repent from them, Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your body broken and your blood shed. We thank you that we could be restored, we could be redeemed, brought back into relationship with God. God, thank you. So God, as we take communion in just a moment, whenever we're ready, God, I pray that you would fill us with just grateful hearts. No guilt. Don't allow guilt to come into this. Grateful hearts, God of what it is that you did. Jesus, you are amazing. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us and anoint us for that which you've appointed us for. And may we never, ever again separate the mission from the message. May we go, may we toil and struggle to see people become complete in Christ. May we exhaust ourselves this side of heaven all the while loving and adoring you. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone who agrees says, Amen.